Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're looking at uh, chapter 10 in the Acts of the Apostles today, but before we really get into today's reading, we need to back up a bit. Um, You will remember that it is called both the Acts of the Apostles and probably more truly the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Apostles only do that which they are empowered to do through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And so in Acts, we get the second book written by Luke um, and it's the book that tells us about the spread of the gospel as it goes out after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. And so at the very, very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, we have the words of the Lord himself before his ascension. He says, you've heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's that promise he gives for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to fall upon his disciples so that indeed the gospel will go out. And where is the gospel to go out? Well, just a little bit further on in chapter 1, verse 7, um, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But it seems that the disciples think that that means just to the Jews in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the known earth at that point in time. Because there were, of course, Jews throughout the known world They had been taken in captivity as far afield as Babylon, North Africa, and although some had returned out of captivity, many had made their homes in those places. And so these are what are called the Diaspora Jews. And so it seems that the disciples are thinking, this good news is just for the Jews. Because after all, this was a Jewish Messiah. This is a Messiah for the chosen people, and they know themselves to be the chosen people of God, the Jewish nation. Of course, they have that history, knowing that from them, Messiah will come, the anointed one who will come and save. Well, Peter and the disciples know that that Messiah is Jesus Christ, but he's come for the Jews. And so they're going to spread the message to the Jews. And then Peter, who's in Joppa just before uh, this passage in the Acts, this chapter 10, he's gone out to the coastal town of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea. And remember that wonderful story? He raised back again uh, Tabitha, who was a, a Jewish Christian woman who had been doing a lot of Uh, seamstress work and and other things for the saints there. And so he's about, they're preparing food for him downstairs and he falls asleep upstairs 
and he gets this vision of food. Uh, you know, do you ever fall asleep thinking about food? You're going to eat, you're thinking about food. And so he thinks that this is about food. And the Lord sends him this image coming down on a blanket, on a sheet, all of this food that according to Torah, he as a good Jewish boy cannot eat. And he hears the voice saying, eat it. And he's going, uh, I can't eat that. It's unlawful for me to eat it. This happens three times and he's thinking food. See, why is God making asking me to eat food that I shouldn't be eating according to his law? And then finally the Lord says to him, this isn't, he doesn't say this, is an, this isn't about food, but he says, Do not, you may not call unclean that which the Lord has called clean. Well, no sooner has he heard this and he has arisen, but two messengers come, Jewish messengers. They've come from a town down the road, still on the coast, Caesarea Maritima, and they've come from a Gentile. They've come from a Roman centurion, used to authority, mind you, is Cornelius. He's got a hundred men under his control. But he sent Jewish people to come to Peter and to ask him to come back with them to him. And so Peter is beginning to realize the Lord means something other than I have realized that the Lord meant. It's not just for the Jewish nation. This is huge, folks. It's a pivotal point in the whole of our story. We are so used to this is the gospel for us that we have forgotten how it started off and that this was a huge change in the Jewish mindset, in the mindset of Peter and all of the apostles that they weren't going to spread this message just to the Jews. Good heavens, God means this for all people. And so these people come, and meanwhile, back at the ranch in Caesarea Philippi, Cornelius has had his own encounter with God. Isn't God wonderful? When he decides to cross our paths, he crosses all the T's and dots all the I's. So that he perfectly brings together those people who he wants to bring together. For whatever reason, his reasons are sufficient whether or not it's to bless one, to bless both of them, whatever the reason. He dots every I and crosses every T. And so he has come to Cornelius and he has said, your prayers that have been offered have been heard and they are being answered. Send for Peter and he will have a word for you. Well, Cornelius also knows that it is unlawful for Jews to come into a Gentile house. It's against Torah. They can talk to them outside, but then they've got to go through purification things. But to go into a house, it's unlawful. They cannot do that. So that's why he sends the Jews. So Peter's coming out from this dream, and he sits down, and the next day they set out. They set out on the road 
and come to Caesarea Maritima. Now, this vision has come to Cornelius, but he knows it's not just for himself. So what's he done? He's gone and gathered all of his family and close friends together. So his house is heaving at the sides. It's not just for him. He wants everybody that he knows and he loves to hear whatever it is that God says that this guy is going to tell him. So they're all there waiting. What is it he's going to tell us? And so uh, Peter arrives and he comes in. And as he comes in, Cornelius, a man under authority, a man for whom Caesar is Lord, both uh, where he now knows God, but Caesar considers him both himself both a divine, a God, and also the Lord of all. So Caesar is Lord. He's the only Lord. And yet, when Peter comes in, Cornelius falls down in front of him. And Peter pulls him up and says, Stand up. I'm, I'm too a man. I'm just a man. As all Cornelius has at this point in time, that somebody's coming to him. And so as Peter comes in, he falls down. This is somebody sent by God, particularly to him. Meanwhile, uh, God has told Peter, uh, God has told uh, Cornelius that when he sends these messengers, that he tells him exactly his name, says, go and find Peter, who's also called Simon, oh, and by the way, he's at Simon the Tanner's house, and in case there are a couple of Simon the Tanners, he's the one by the sea. Like the detail, right? So he sent off these, these two friends, and they found Peter, and he's, he's come back again. So here they are all together. And, and Peter's going, just in case Cornelius had forgotten, he reminds him, he says, now you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Just in case you've forgotten, it's unlawful for me to do this. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, it wasn't about food and he's figured that out now. It's about people. Neither are we, of course, allowed to call anyone unclean, common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. But I ask you, why you sent for me? See, Peter doesn't know at this point in time why Cornelius has sent him, just that two messengers have come and he's had this vision. And so then Cornelius goes and tells him all about this visit that he's had. This visitor that he's had from God who's told him that his prayers have been answered and to send for Peter. So now they both know God's part in bringing them together. And so, uh, and so Cornelius says, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Great expectation in the house. What is it that the Lord's given you to tell us? And then from verse 34 through 43 is the gospel encapsulated. If you ever want to know where to go in scripture, 
to give the message in a very concise manner, go to Acts chapter 10, 34 through 43. It's all here. It's been called the kerygma, or the teaching of the church. It is the foundational truths of what we believe to be true. And he starts off, um, first of all, he says, okay, now I've got it. Peter says, now I truly understand. God shows no partiality. There are no favorites with God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're male and female, whatever race, whatever background, whatever socioeconomic background, wherever you come from, whoever you are, there's no partiality, no favoritism. God loves us all equally. And Peter's finally got it. First of all, I understand God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever, anyone who, (coughs) in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Good news of peace. That's the gospel. Peace, reconciliation. Peace amongst ourselves. Reconciliation amongst ourselves. Reconciliation to God. We who, because of sin, are separated from God, are now reconciled to God in this good news, in this one gospel, through Jesus Christ, and then just in case... Cornelius um, had any second thoughts about Caesar being Lord of all. He says, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And if he is Lord of all, Caesar's not. So Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, beginning in the north, and filtering all the way down. But it began with Jesus' baptism in the Jordan by John. And that's why we have the Gospel reading today. Jesus comes to John, who's been baptizing everybody for repentance. And he says, uh, and he comes for baptism, and John says, you should be baptizing me. Why? (coughs) Because baptism is a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And um, Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need to be baptized. She says, this is to fulfill all righteousness. You see, he didn't come to lord it over us. He didn't come separated from us. He came to attach himself to us. He came to be one of us, to be exactly as we are, yet without sin. And so he shows what we must do, just to be baptized. And so he is baptized by John. But he's told us at the beginning here, what I read earlier, this is a baptism of water. We will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for the cleansing of our sins, but it is also for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a different baptism than John's baptism, because at this point in time, Jesus is not yet dead, and so the complete forgiveness of our sins has not happened. It happens on the tree, on the cross. 
And so he says, this was the beginning. And at that time, and we hear, he anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is baptized and he goes forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, we go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit into ministry. What does Jesus then do? He goes about doing good, Peter says, and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. That's all of us, because we live in a fallen world. It's not just talking about demonic oppression. It's talking about the sickness that comes to us in life. All healing. That's why we have a healing ministry here, because that ministry continues down through the ages, doing good and healing those who are oppressed. And then Peter goes on. So it starts off for all people. Jesus Christ, gospel of peace, starts at the baptism, power of the Holy Spirit, doing good, healing. And he says, and I can tell you this, we're witnesses. This is not a second-hand gospel. We were there. We know this happened. He says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And this is what happened. They put him to death. He doesn't dwell on that. Immediately afterwards, he says, but... God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Yes, he was killed on a tree, but he rose again. Why three days? Because they want to make absolutely sure that we know that he was dead. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. They're two different things. Resuscitation is bringing somebody back who has not completely died, or maybe has died, but they're resuscitated, they will die again. We all die, right? We all know we all die. But Jesus is resurrected. Different, not a resuscitated body. And just to make sure that they know this wasn't a ghost, this wasn't just a spirit, who appeared, this is a resurrected body never been seen before. Remember, Lazarus was resuscitated. He had died. He was smelling after three days. Jesus brought him back again, but he died again. Jesus is resurrected. He never dies again. And that's what will happen to us. We will get resurrected bodies at the end of the age. So he says, we're witnesses and we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's just to make sure that Cornelius and all of his family and friends know that this is not a spirit. A spirit to kind of sit by, and why would a spirit want to eat and drink? A resurrected body wants to eat and drink. And Jesus ate and drank with them, and they saw it, and they witnessed it. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. When he returns at the second coming, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, when all things are made new, he, Jesus, is the judge of the living and of the dead. And this is not a late great idea of God. He knew it. 
he prophesied through the prophets that this was so. And so Peter ends up this little sermon To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's a free gift. We don't get to do anything. We can't do anything. We just receive it. It's a gift. Grace is given freely for all. No partiality going back to the beginning again. So that's it, folks. That's the good news encapsulated in a really short passage, you can just go back to this anytime somebody wants to know about this Jesus. Here it is, uh, chapter 10, 34 through 43. What happens? I love this. We didn't have this in the reading, but he's still talking. He's still mid-sentence telling them about this, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they start, they start speaking in tongues and, 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 and the, it's all breaking out. All over. Of course, the, the Holy Spirit um, is not bounded in. We do know that about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit breaks out wherever Holy Spirit wants to break out. Amen. Absolutely. Just come Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius, this Gentile, and all his Gentile crew, his family and his friends, and um, those who, who are Jewish, who have come to meet Peter and have come back in that um, terribly evocative English term, are gobsmacked. <laughs> they are completely amazed. Okay, um, this was only supposed to be for the Jews. And the Holy Spirit has fallen on all of these Gentiles. Okay, says Paul, or Peter, well, we better baptize them then. <laughs> So they're all baptized. It's the beginning of the gospel reaching out to the Gentile world. This is the pivot point. It's absolutely dramatic for us all these centuries later. This is the point in time that it has moved from just being a Jewish sect to an international gospel For all people, because God shows no partiality. And don't you love it that they are baptized? Because Jesus has told them, preach the gospel and baptize. Because in baptism, God is doing something. She's doing lots of things. We have the externals, we have the water and the oil and the words, but God is doing something. See, in baptism, we die with Christ and we're raised with him. If we had a full immersion baptism, that imagery would, it would be that much greater because as we go under the water, we go into death, but we don't stay there. We come forward. We come up. We're raised up to new life. We die with Christ. We're nailed to that cross with Christ. Our sins are nailed to that cross with Christ. We die with him, and yet we live with him. We are raised up. Paul says it this way in his letter to the church in Rome. Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We die with him and we're raised with him and we are made part of his family. Our spiritual DNA gets switched. It gets changed. You might have biological brothers and sisters, but your spiritual brothers and sisters are closer to you Because your spiritual DNA means that everybody that you are sitting with, everybody in this entire congregation, in fact, all Christians throughout the world are truly your brother and your sister. Because we have been made brothers and sisters in the family of God. Charlotte's my sister. George is my brother. We are each of us brothers and sisters in the family of God. Truer than what we are born into because this continues. This continues through the veil. We will never stop being brothers and sisters. We will pass through the veil and still be brothers and sisters in God because we're part of his family. And we receive forgiveness of sins. To the church at Colossae, Paul writes, When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set us this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. And to the church in Ephesus, he said, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. It is not of your own doing. It can never be of our own doing. It is just a gift. And it is so freely given. It costs us nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. It costs him his life. And then we receive new life in the Holy Spirit. God comes and dwells in us. That also happens to us in baptism. I would say shortly, Avery, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, marked as Christ's own forever. This is the promise he made through the prophet, through Ezekiel. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you, and make you follow my statutes, and be careful to observe my ordinances. So as we come to this baptism... Remember your own. Remember what the Lord has given you freely. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You're part of God's family. No one can take that away from you. You have received forgiveness of sins 
and new life in God's Holy Spirit. So let us come to the font and remember that.